0: talking about Galatians chapter 5 the fruit of the spirit and we've dealt with this idea that when you and I are born we're born sinners so we have that root stock we have that nature that uh, natural nature to all of a sudden want to live for ourselves and there's the work of the flesh that continually working itself up from that root stock um, so we've looked at uh, Galatians chapter 5 um, let's see who I got back there Eli get me started and then I'm going to take it. There we go. Thank you. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And We've talked about love, the idea that God has grafted on you the ability to love regardless of the circumstances of the situation. We've talked about the idea that the work of the flesh that continually wants to come up is fear. You're afraid of what people are going to think. You're afraid of, of how people are going to respond. You're afraid of that circumstance of that situation. But when we look at it through the eyes of serving other people, love conquers that fear. We talked last week about the idea of joy. Joy is not dependent on your circumstances. It's easy sometimes to think that it, happiness is, happiness depends on happenings, joy is something is that's an inner thing that it's going to be okay. And it's very, very closely linked with the idea that we're going to look at this morning which is the idea of peace. So. As we talk about this idea of the fruit of the Spirit being peace, let's understand that that is something, as a culture, I think we are wanting more and more and more. Uh, we spend a lot of money pursuing peace. Uh, we spend a lot of money on um, vacations and time away, and and I don't have any problem with that. Um, I think every once in a while you need to just get away from your routine and break the routine and. And, and have kind of a fresh outlook on that. Uh, I don't have a problem with it all, but if you're not careful, what happens is you're always living for that next trip or that next thing. And th- th- that's not the kind of peace we're talking about. We're talking about, because in our culture, what we think peace is, is absence of conflict. And the, and the reality of it is, what you're going to find out this morning, is peace is actually possible in the middle of conflict and difficulty and hardship, just like joy. And so that's kind of what we want to wrestle with a little bit this morning is, is this idea of when the Bible talks about peace and when God talks about peace, what is it that we're, we're really pursuing? So uh, with that in, in mind, let's go to the, the, the Old Testament first. In the Old Testament, the word is shalom, okay? Uh, it's used 337 times uh, in the Old Testament. What's interesting is the first instance of the word "peace" in the Bible is the story of Gideon, and Gideon is at the threshing floor. And what happened is there was a battle, there was a war, the enemies were trying to kill the, the Jewish people, and so Gideon is hiding from the enemy threshing, which you know making bread, basically because. I mean, everything was so uh, consumed by the enemies that it was like, okay, you know what? If I I make bread here quietly in this little corner, maybe they won't see it and take it. And it is in that situation that an angel comes to him and, and he's kind of scared a little bit. And one of the questions that Gideon asked the angel, which was really Christ or God, is, who are you? When I I go back to my friends and tell them the story, they're going to want to know who came to me. Who do I tell? What what name do I use? And the angel says, this is the reason we know it's God, is he says, my name is Jehovah Shalom. I am the God of peace. Now, wait a minute. the, The whole context of this is in the middle of an enemy trying to take your life and making life hard for you, and God comes and says, You need to understand, I'm a God of peace. In the midst of all of the stuff you're going through, Gideon, you can still have peace, and I'm here to help you with that. Um, the Old Testament word is incredibly rich in meaning. It has the idea of whole, finished, full, harmony. It was a common form of greeting. Uh, shalom, even to this day with Jewish people, is a big deal. Uh, the, um, it was a peace offering. There was actually a peace offering. It was a sacrificial blood offering that, you, that the Jews would do. Um, in the Jewish world, I didn't understand this until they got the opportunity to go to Israel. And, and the guy that um, I, I was with, uh, my, I was with my parents, but uh, I room with another guy who was by himself. And so uh, one night we decided to jump in a cab and go downtown Israel. And we went downtown Israel because... He had a Jewish friend that wanted a menorah from Israel, and he didn't want the cheap trinket things. He wanted an actual antique thing. So we hit the antique shops in Old Jerusalem where most of the people spoke Hebrew, not English. So we're, we're in there, and we negotiated with it, and we went, went went shopping a couple other places, came back and negotiated with this guy, and at the end, we got all done. He grabbed a hold of our hands, and he went, shalom, shalom, and we were like, okay, shalom, shalom, and... We got back on the bus and got back to the motel, got on the bus the next day and we were telling our guide about it. And our guy said, he did what? And we said, well, at the end, he shook our hand and he just kept saying, shalom, 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 we didn't get it. And he said, well, you need to understand, he said, first of all, he said, you were in a part of town that's, that's like Jewish-Jewish. It's not like tourism-Jerusalem, this is like Jewish-Jerusalem, okay? And he said, and they don't deal a lot with foreigners, He said, the fact that he said that at the end of it, here's what he was saying to you. He was saying he appreciated the negotiation because most people would just go in and buy it for whatever price he said. Well, we bickered back and forth and argued and walked away and did the whole bartering thing or bargaining thing. He said he enjoyed the way you did the transaction. And he felt like it was a good, fair transaction to you and to him. And he was saying it as a sign of respect, saying to you, as you go from here, I wish peace and goodwill and goodness to you. Shalom, shalom. He said, they don't do that. He said, so apparently whatever you guys did earned his respect. And yet in in that culture, that, that, that is such a big thing is the idea of it, it means all of those things, that idea of, of wholeness, completeness, fullness to your life. You see a lot of great examples in the Old Testament where that word is um, used. Uh, Jeremiah 48, peace like a river. Um, you see the idea of God says that he is perfect peace. You see the idea that um, no peace comes to the wicked, he says. So in the Old Testament, it is rich, incredibly rich in the the idea of what God wants for his people. You get to the New Testament, it's a little different. By the time we get to the New Testament, in the Greek language, it kind of expands itself. And there's basically three types of peace that are mentioned in the New Testament. So real quick review, here they are. The first one is peace with God. This is in your relationship with God. We would call this salvation, we would call this new birth. We would call this becoming Christian. And here's what he says. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what he's saying is, when you were, before you put, put your faith and trust in Christ, you were the enemy of God. You were at odds. But when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are no longer his enemy. You now have peace with him. So this is a one-time thing that occurs when you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we are now no longer an enemy of God. We now have peace with God. We are His children. The second type of peace that's talked about is fellowship. That's different. That's kind of a daily thing. And here's what he says, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, different idea now, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus he says you need to understand because you have peace with God you can now have peace of God. You can have a peace that comes with the idea that you know what? It is, it is going to be okay. Um, I like what one of the old writers uh, uh, um, Augusto Hippol. here's what he said. He said it is um, it is a uh, order of tranquility which I think is a phenomenal concept. Here's the idea. That There's an orderliness that comes when you have peace. The opposite of chaos. But when, and that's what Satan will try to do in your life. Satan will try to create chaos in your life. Steal, kill, destroy. That's what he's trying to try to do. God, on the other hand, says, no, no. I I have grafted onto your life the ability to have peace. The ability to have tranquility of order where you don't have to be anxious. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to get all bent out of shape about it. It will be okay. No matter how crazy it is, it will be okay. And he said, that's what I want for you. I don't want it, just like joy. I don't want it dependent on circumstances or people or things or worry. I want it to be dependent upon me. And he says, you can have the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You can actually be going through a difficult time, and people will actually step back and go, I don't know how you do it. You know how I do it? It's God doing it through me. It's not me, it's God. That's the peace of God. And, and, and some of you have been in situations where you know, as bad as that situation was, there was something inside that clicked and you knew it was going to be okay. That doesn't mean it wasn't hard or difficult or all kinds of things, but you just knew it would be okay. That's the peace of God that we're talking about. And Paul here, when he talks about this idea, says, look, you need to understand, you have the ability, you and I have the ability to have the peace of God, regardless of what's going on in your life. Um, The last idea in the New Testament is this idea, peace on earth, relationship to people. It's in Romans chapter 12, and again, Romans chapter 12 is a summary of, is a practical application of first uh, nine chapters, The first eight chapters are doctrinal in Romans. next three are historical. He gets to chapter 12, and the rest, 12 to 16, is all application. And when he talks about it, here's one of the things that he says. And again, he's writing this to people at Rome. Peace was a big Roman concept. They were trying to bring peace to the world. And here's what he says. Don't let anyone repay evil for evil. Be careful. Do that which is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He says, you want a great principle in life? He said, stop fighting. See, look, it takes two to fight. So what happened, my my wife was a master at this. She figured this out early in her marriage. You know, and I'm not saying you go down her road, but I'm saying this road worked, okay, with me, all right? Because we get into these heated discussions and, and we would get in, and, and my wife, and I don't want to, again, I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't want her, I don't want her to sound bad here. But one of the, she, here, here's the kind of way she'd do it. Okay, at some point she'd look at me and she'd go, okay, honey, you're right. Now, that just pushed me farther over the edge. It's like, no, 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 no. you're just saying that so that I'll stop fighting. Because my wife realized it takes two people to fight, and if she stops fighting, it's not any fun anymore for me. And it was one of those things where she just learned this idea of, you know what? I'm going to be the peacemaker here, and I'm going to step out the plate, and I'm not going to make this a fight. So you've got to fight with yourself, and then it's no fun. And she became really, really good at this about just going, it's interesting because, I don't know, it's, it's, it's like, and she's starting to rub off on my daughter-in-laws, and they're starting to do it. And I'm sitting back going, oh, she is so good. Um, at this, you know, and she's like, you know, they're Thomas men, this is how you have to handle them. Uh, but I mean, that's the idea. The idea is, look, it takes two and when, and, and when one backs up, that's what he's saying here. He's saying, look, all you've got to do is live at peace with her as much as it lies within you. You want to fight me, you want to be against me, you want to be the enemy, okay, but I'm not going to fight back. I'm not going to fight back. I'm going to be at peace with you. And if you have a problem, then it's your problem. I'm not going to make it my problem. And this becomes so, so good for us relationally. And this is what gets a lot of us in trouble, is it not? We fight. And we try to be on top. We talked about this in Sunday school. It's the idea of mutual submission. I'm going to try to make your day better. I'm going to say, what can I do to help you today? I'm going to try to serve you today. And you get people in a family or in a marriage trying to outserve each other all day long, you have a great marriage. And you have a great family. Because you're putting the needs of that other person first. So those are the three types of peace that are talked about in the New Testament. And the same thing that we talked about last week. Satan will try to rob you of peace. He will use people to get under your skin. He will use things. He will use circumstances. He will use he will use worry. And before you know it, you have, you, you are, your world is, is in chaos, and you can find no calm, you can find no assurance that it's going to be okay. So, let's get to really practical stuff today on how do we go and develop this idea of peace in our life, even in the midst of chaos, okay? So, first thing, here you go, number one, uh, as we go through it, uh, let's see, there we go. Regarding this situation, you have to realize there are some things that you just can't change. We spend a lot of time and energy trying to change stuff we can't change. We worry about a lot of stuff that are out of our control. And before you know it, what happens is we are spinning our wheels and using all our time, energy, and resources trying to fix things that can't be fixed. Here's what Paul said. I am not saying this because I'm in need. Now again, he's in prison saying this, writing to the Philippians, talking about joy. And he says, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know how to be in need. And I know how to have, I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want. And this is the verse that we misconstrue all the time. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. how many of you have memorized it. You understand what he's saying? You know what I can do? That no matter what situation I'm in, through Christ I can have the strength. Whether i got plenty or a little, whether I'm hungry, whether I'm well fed, it doesn't matter to me. He said, I've learned that there are some situations and circumstances I can't change, so I have learned that whatever situation I find myself in, I need to focus on being content. Now listen, this is so anti-American because we are a culture of more. More of this, more of that, more of that. We're just driven that way within our thing. And what happens is, you know as well as I do. More more doesn't bring peace. You know, stuff doesn't satisfy. And and Paul here writes this, he says, look, what you have to understand is there are some things you can't change. This This is probably one of the hardest examples of the Bible to refer to. But yet I think it is one of the greatest lessons of this passage. When David's child is sick, Um, And he's about ready to die. David begs god To spare his child Seven days david literally becomes a basket case Um, In fact, people are afraid to even approach david. He is that out of sorts He's not eating. He's not drinking. He's praying. He's weeping He's prostrating himself on the ground doing everything he can to get god's attention that god would spare his child The child dies. And they're afraid to tell David because they say, you know what, if we tell David, he's going to go over, he's going to go go off the deep end. I mean, this is what he's doing when the kid's still alive. What do you think is going to happen when he finds out the child's gone? And David, in the midst of all of this, perceives that something has happened. And he goes to them and he says, what has happened? Has the child died? And they were scared to death, but they said, yeah, the child is gone. And they watch David. He gets up. He walks over. He starts washing himself off, cleaning him up. He says, okay, I need you guys to go make me supper. And they're going, what? And they actually asked David. They said, David, we don't get it. Before, you were a basket case. Now the child's gone. You're, you're, You're like moving on. Why? And David says, while the child was sick, I didn't know if God would spare him or not. But now that he's gone, he's not coming back to me. I'm just going to wait till the day I go to him. And David picks up his pieces of his life. He still struggles, but David still picks up the pieces of his life. And he starts to move forward in a different type of life now, without his child, as he goes forward. So it's a new reality. It's a new upside-down world for him. But it's the idea of David came to a point where he goes, look, I wanted this. This didn't happen. I can't change it now. So now I have to realize that I can't undo it. Part of peace is this concept of realizing what you can and can't change. But what happens for so many of us, we get ourselves in a situation and we just hammer away at God wanting answers after answer after answer after answer. For you, a great book is the book of Job. In 48 hours, Job loses everything. For 37 chapters, God's quiet. And it's like, God, I, you know, everybody's asking, God, why? God, wh- and for 37 chapters, God. Here's why. God was testing and growing and maturing Job. And when God does that, during testing, God is silent. Um, Some of you, it's gonna be a ways back. For some of you, it's gonna be too soon. But remember when you were in school and had to take a test? What did the teacher do? The teacher was quiet, right? In fact, if you had a question about the test, um, you know what, on question number 12, Um, It could be like this way or this way. How did you mean this? And the teacher goes, do the best you can. Why? It was a test. After the test, you kind of reviewed your answers and figured out what to learn from it, what not to learn from it, and what the teacher was thinking, and why the teacher was wrong, and you were right. But, I mean, you know, you, you go through all of that process, you go through that whole process, why? Because, and sometimes that's what happens. Things come into our life and God's testing us and maturing us and growing us. And God's quiet and you're like, well, God doesn't care. No, God does, does care. It's just, it's a test. And you need to figure some things out and you need to, part of what you need to figure out is what you can change and what you can't change. And that's what he's saying here. This is a big part of peace in our life is stepping back and going, okay, you know what, God? I want this change. But it's not going to change right now, or I'm going to pray for change. But Lord, I'm also going to be content with the situation as it is right now. Not what I want, but I'll be okay with it because you're in charge. Which brings us to our next idea. Here's the second thing God's still on the throne. God is God, you're not. This is going to sound cold and hard and harsh, but it's the reality. God doesn't owe you an explanation. He's God. And the, the writer here says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean in your own understanding. Don't spend all your time trying to figure it out. In all your ways, submit to him. He'll make your path straight. In other words, it's this idea of stepping back and saying, okay, God, you are God I am not, so Lord, help me as I go forward to trust you and not want it the way I want it. This is a big issue for us because what happens is we look at it and we we have this idea that if God loves us, our lives are going to be problem-free. We're we're living in a sin-cursed world. What do you think is going to happen here? We live in a world where Satan is alive and well. And Satan does everything he can to get other people and us to make the wrong decision. And when they do make those wrong decisions, it impacts us. There are some situations you're dealing with right now that in all honesty, you brought on yourself. So take the ownership of them, you know? Maybe you didn't need that brand new car that had the extra $10,000 accessory package. Now you're complaining because the bill's so high. Um, I, I don't know. I don't, you know, that's that seeing where you made the choice. You will know, say, well, if God loved me, he would have given me that $10,000 accessory package. <laughs> Come on. You know, is that your genie in a bottle? God's God. He's on the throne. It's his call. But he says you've got to learn to trust him with all your heart. Don't try to spend your time figuring it out. In some situations, God, like Job, has allowed things into your life because he wants to grow and stretch you. And you're like, well, I don't want to be grown and stretched. Well, you're his child. He has that opportunity and that privilege to do that. Um, here's the only thing you have control over, how you respond. See, I, I don't have control this week about how my wife treats me. I don't. All I have control over is how I respond to the way she treats me. Now, believe me, she does a whole lot better job treating me right than I do treating her right. So don't, you know, but what I'm getting at, I, no matter what, I don't, have a, I don't have an opportunity. You can't control your boss at work this week or your co-workers or that, or that situation that comes up this week. All you can control is how you respond. You can't control that parts guy who's got it wrong for the sixth time in order to do the wrong part. You can control how you respond to them. That's what you, and, and, and what happens is, we, we think we're in control, which is crazy because there is no such thing as control. Control's an illusion, God's in control. And the bottom line is, your life and my life can change in a moment. And the world, as you know it, is all of a sudden turned upside down. And at those times, it's so important that you have learned and developed this idea of trusting God, that God will take care of you. God God is there. Um, Often, what do we start doing? Something happens and it doesn't go the way we want. We say, where's God? Where's God? Why Why is God doing this? Why is God? Here's a better question. God, how can I use this to glorify you? When Paul finds himself in prison, he looks at it as an opportunity. You just need to think about this for a minute. When you look at the Apostle Paul, and when you look at a majority of the New Testament letters that we have from Paul, you know where most of them are written from? Prison. Have you ever thought about why? Because see, Paul was one of these guys that was a type A personality that had 50 irons in the fire and was running 20 different ways. And if God allowed Paul to be Paul, you think that kind of guy would have taken time to write letters? Not on your life. So in order for you and I to enjoy and appreciate and learn and grow, this guy had to be in prison where he could not go any further than the house with nothing else to do but write. So he had to go through a difficult time, a very frustrating time, in order for you and I to be the beneficiaries of it. Why? Because God's on the throne. God knows what he was doing. He knew that if Paul and all that he was teaching was ever gonna be preserved, that guy's gonna have to go to prison where he can do nothing but write. And you and I get to benefit from that today. If you are Paul, can you imagine how hard that would have been? God, you don't understand. I want to reach the world for Christ. And Lord, yeah, do you see what I did over in Corinth? And this is what was happening in Ephesus and over at Philippi. And now, and I got this opportunity with Philemon. And if I could just go back and, and hey, God, please get me out of these chains, get me out of these chains so I can go reach all these people. And read it. And God said, God said, no, no, I got, I got a better plan and here's what it is. And Paul said, you know what I've learned in this plan? I've learned to be content no matter what. And you and I get a benefit from that. I don't know what God's doing in your life to benefit people far down the road. You don't either But he's the one that's on the throne And the bottom line is God doesn't owe us an explanation He doesn't think like we think We don't think like he thinks He's in charge The last idea is this And this is the hard thing for all of us It's this idea Of surrender The mind governed by the flesh is death but The mind governed by the spirit is life And here's our word, peace so you have to decide whether life is going to be lived today for you or for God Whether you're going to get up today and you're going to make it all about you Or you're going to make it about what God wants to do in and through you today That's the choice that each one of us makes. and honestly your real battle is with God It really really is Some of you when difficulty comes you um, You're fighters and, and, and you fight God on what's going on. Contentment? no way. God, you need to change this and you need to change this now. Um, some of you, you're runners. This is the thing that this is the thing that I think is crazy. When difficulty comes into your life, you get mad at God. The one, the one source that you have to help you, you turn against, that doesn't make any sense, does it? But I have watched people as they've gone through difficult times get mad and angry at God. And here's what's crazy in my world. Here's what I see. I watch people who have nothing to do with God. They don't want church. They don't want Bible. They don't want Christianity. They don't want any of that. And they go through a difficult time and tragedy comes into their life. And then they get mad at the, at the whole thing that they've had nothing to do with in the first place. You want to get mad at somebody, get mad at Satan, who's really the source of all this stuff anyway. We deal with death today because of Satan, because of sin, not because of God. And yet the one person, the one source that you have that can bring peace and comfort and encouragement and help and guidance is the one person that you turn bitter against. And by the way, that should give you a a clue. When you're going through a hard time and there's difficulty and struggle and and, and you're trying to find peace in the midst of all the chaos, if your tendency is to turn against God, that's from Satan. God wants you to turn to him. So the tendency to fight him is really not from God. It's from Satan. Satan. And the whole purpose of difficulty and struggle and things like that, just like in the life of Job, was to bring us closer to God, help us to understand more about ourselves. And so, Paul here, when he, write, Paul here, when he writes to the Romans, he says, look, be careful about letting your mind be governed by the flesh. He said, that's death, that's separation, that's ending, that, that, that destroys stuff. And he said, basically, turn your mind over, your spirit to life and peace. So, Two things and then we're done. First of all, there are people here who are not believers. Okay, So let me talk to you first. You cannot have the peace of God until you have peace with God. Until you come to a point where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are an enemy of God. The Bible is really clear about that. And when you pass away, when you leave this world, when you take your last breath, your heart beats for the last time, you will forever be the enemy of God. And you will not be with him. The Bible is explicitly clear about that. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but by me. So if you reject that, you reject your only hope. Right? So I I challenge you to really talk to somebody about this, read your Bible, grab a track, pursue this idea of what does the Bible say about me and having peace with God. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are in a different category now. You are now over here with God. We would call this a Christian, which the source of this means my life is centered around Christ. I want to please Christ with my life. I want to try to please God with my life. I want to do the best I can to honor God. Um, You're a Christian. Not because you're doing things, but because of what you've done in putting your faith and trust in Christ you now have the peace, you have peace with God. That's a one-time thing. The peace of God's gonna be a daily battle. Okay? That's gonna be a daily thing. Because Satan, every day, is gonna try to steal things in your life, To try to rob you of joy, try to rob you of peace, try to rob you of, of, of encouragement. Kill, he's gonna try to destroy any of those things that do come up in your life. Um, and destroy he's just going to try to undermine the whole thing so every day this idea of surrendering to God trusting God understanding their circumstances that are out of my control is so important um, for us to understand that this is the way we need to live our lives is this idea of having peace even though everything around me may be falling apart even though everything may be crumbling around me it's that idea so for us, one of the things that, that we have to do is we have to come to understand this is what we need to do. Here's a couple of things to remind you, okay? So I'm gonna, I, I got a list here of things, okay? Um, and, and I'm gonna go fast. You can listen online or... I found out we're on like all kinds of podcasts I didn't know about. So Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple, Google... You can even get Alexa to play these messages for you. which It's a goofy thing to do. But anyway, so here, here we go. That, that's just scary to me. But here we go. The last thing I want to hear in my house is Alexa telling me what I said. Um, here we go. Here's what I know about God. Okay. And again, I'm, I, these, are hold card, these are cold, hard facts. So understand, I understand that there's empathy and all those things that go along with this. But here's what I put down for me. When I'm going through tough times, here's what I remember. God has a greater purpose in my life than the problems I'm going through. There's something bigger at play here. I can't see it, but God does. God is more interested in my character than my comfort. God wants me to be a testimony of his grace. And so he's going to allow some hard things to come in because he wants me to grow and stretch, not to be comfortable God has a plan for my life that involves growth. Growth involves change and pain often. Um, It involves difficulty. It involves hardship. That's part of the growth process. God loves me deeply and will reward me for proper responses to him on this planet. In other words, I I don't expect my reward here. Um, I don't expect my answers here. Uh, It's In a time to come and it's not on this place God knows my limit I think I know my limit but God knows my limit that's the story in the life of Job this earth is not heaven heaven is where I get the ultimate comfort I don't expect this place to be like heaven And lastly, for me, I want to allow God to use it to make me better, not bitter. One of the things that happens in the ministry, and I have a lot of friends who've gone down this road, and I, I don't fault them for it because I was, I was, I could, it could very easily, their story could be my story. But I've watched them get into ministry and have situations that turned them bitter. And um, turned them against what God called them to and again, I, I'm not, I don't fault them. I, I, I get it. I, I, their story could be my story in a heartbeat. A year out of ministry. The fact that I lasted a year out of ministry is, you know, is shocking because of all that we got hit with within the first, actually the first six months of graduating from college. But I just decided at that point, God, no matter what, they're not gonna win, Satan's not gonna win here. You know, I'm, I'm more stubborn than that. So, um, by the grace of God, I'm here today because the circumstances that we have come up against in ministry over the years, which had the opportunity to turn me better really quick, God in his grace used it and I made choices to go a different route. I wanna, I wanna challenge you with something that has been misused in our society, but let me show you kind of an original version that you may not be aware of. This is sometimes known as the serenity prayer, prayer peace, a lot of times used in AA, things like that, but here's the original idea. God, grant me the serenity to accept things I cannot change, we've talked about that. Courage to change the things that I can, wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, Enjoying one moment at a time. Listen to this line. Accepting hardship as the pathway to peace. Taking as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. This is what we're talking about. Pray for things that you want changed. You have the opportunity to change them, take the courage to do it. But accept things that aren't going to change. Take the day that you have in front of you, and use it. Learn this idea of: this is a sinful world. This is not heaven. It's not what you want it to be. There'll coming a day that all the stuff is, all all the bad stuff is gone. That's not now. Trusting, God's going to do. God, God is on the throne, and He's going to make things right ultimately. God's goal is for you and I to have character. And we will experience love, joy, and peace at a level that we have never even comprehended in eternity. Until we do, we have the opportunity here to show the world a glimpse of what that's like in the way we live our lives. So when your world gets chaotic this week, when everything starts, the peace of God. Which passes all understanding, can keep your heart and your minds through Christ. I end with this. A life of peace is not a life of without difficulty and hardship. A life of peace is focused on a life of surrender and contentment with God. It's a life that realizes God is on the throne and at work in my life. While it may not be the life I planned, it is the life that can show the glory of God to a lost world. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, it's so easy sometimes to get focused on us being comfortable and wanting life the way we want it. Lord, it's so easy to try to push aside pain and difficulty and hardship and think that, Lord, um, when you really love us, everything's going great. Lord, we want to be used. Thank you for loving us. Help us to trust. Help us to surrender. Help us to accept things we can't change to recognize, Lord, that you're on the throne and our lives are simply a tool for you to use for your glory. And this week, Lord, use us. May people be able to see peace in our lives that we could ultimately share with them that they may know not just peace with God, but the peace of God. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Let's stand together and we're going to sing It Is Well With My Soul.